gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this. That. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a remarkable big daddy. Remarkable. Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. This week, we're going to be talking about B2B marketing lessons from Speed with the help of special guest, Director of Content Strategy at Sixth Sense, Chris Hutchins. Pop quiz, hotshot. There's a bomb on a bus. Once the bus goes 50 miles an hour, the bomb is armed. If it drops below 50, it blows up. What do you do? What do you do? Chris, how are you? I'm doing great. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So excited to have you on the show. Excited to chat about Speed. Not the drug, but the movie. And uh, and excited to chat about B2B content marketing at Sixth Sense, your background, which is super interesting, and everything in between. So let's get into it. Why did you want to talk about the movie Speed? Well, the movie has a special place in my heart. I'm of an, an age, borderline elderly these days, where back in college, Speed had been recently released and was playing on our campus, like closed cable, like our college campus had a cable movie station right, that only played like three movies at any given time. And it was like The Craft, Speed, and Pulp Fiction. There was basically the only movies that were playing on this TV show. And my roommate and I were just like, we were homebodies. So Speed was on at our dorm room all, all the time. And so between that just kind of like muscle memory and my recent rewatching of it, and I love the soundtrack, and I love Keanu Reeves, and I especially am completely smitten by Sandra Bullock. And, and the idea of the movie is just so great that uh, I couldn't pass up an opportunity to evangelize it. Okay, Meredith, what the heck is Speed? So Speed is a 1994 action movie, and it stars Keanu Reeves as young police officer Jack Traven. That is Meredith O'Neill, our amazing producer extraordinaire. And it's very simple premise. There's a bomb on a bus. Once the bus goes 50 miles an hour, the bomb is armed. If it drops below 50, it blows up. It also stars Sandra Bullock as the female counterpoint Annie, who ironically had had her driver's license revoked for speeding, but she steps in when the bus driver is shot. Sorry, that's a giveaway if someone hasn't seen it. Hey, I didn't mean to shoot the guy. Um, I think spoilers are fair at this point. <laughs> yeah, right. They've had time to watch it. And of course, the villain is played by Dennis Hopper, who is Howard Payne. Um, he's a madman who rigged the bus with the bomb in the first place and is demanding. This is about money due me, which I will collect. $3.7 million. Which seems like an really odd, yeah, strangely oddly specific, specific <laughs> amount of money. But the the movie was written by Graham Yost and directed by Jan DeBont. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Did my best. Why did they want to make this movie in the first place? 
The idea for Speed actually came from a 1985 thriller called Runaway Train, which was something that I believe Graham Yoss's dad had shown him. They had kind of been like, well, it's an interesting concept, but we're going to make it a bus instead of a train. And originally the bus was only supposed to be going 20 miles an hour. And then a friend of Graham Yoss said, wouldn't it be more exciting? if it was 50 miles an hour instead. You're deeply nuts, you know that? Um, so that's kind of like, you know, a simple premise, but where the idea came from. Yeah, I mean, 20 miles an hour, like you could get like a runner could just jog up to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be, it would need to be like a, a tank or something if it was 20 miles an hour, but. Yeah. I think 50, 50 always felt good to me because 50 is like just fast enough that that's like pretty scary, but it's also like not that fast. So I don't know. I felt like it was the right right amount. Yeah. And my take on it is that like in California, Southern California, like rush hour traffic, like even on a freeway, 50 miles an hour is almost impossible to achieve. Right. And to say nothing of like going off into like downtown L.A. traffic, which is what they do at one point. They take an exit off the freeway and onto uh, like side streets, which is just bananas. So, yeah, 50 is 50 is like the perfect number, the perfect speed. Okay, what else, um, Meredith? Speed was made for Fox for about $30 million, but the reception wasn't exactly positive initially. It was sort of dismissed as this diehard on a bus, but it did end up doing pretty well. It grossed $350 million at the box office, and it ended up being a total turning point for both Keanu and Sandra, were on a first-name basis, but it was a turning point for their careers. It basically made Keanu like this action star and her this new America's sweetheart. Would you do me a And Keanu like really redefined what an action star could look like. He's just kind of like a normal dude. So he looks and feels like this vulnerable human, whereas before sort of the action stars were like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, these like hyper muscular sort of like super macho guys, whereas like Keanu is just, I guess, more believable. Like he looks like he'd be a cop. Excellent. And it also sort of opened the door for him to become Neo later in The Matrix and later John Wick and for Sandra Bullock to become Miss Congeniality later on. You believe that they like fall in love on on the bus. Like you feel like they could actually be a couple. And like if that was Sly Stallone, like you wouldn't believe it. Like Sly obviously in Rocky, you believe it. This is a different guy than later on. But like if that was Arnold, it would be a completely different movie. Totally. And they but they actually did have real chemistry. Like I don't know if you guys knew this, but they like had secret crushes on each other during filming. I think about how sweet Keanu Reeves was and how he was yeah. hard. It was really, yeah. it was hard for me to like really be serious. Like he would look at me and I'd be like. <laughs> <laughs> and you see like press events and stuff. And Sandra Bullock, like at one point, like comes up behind him and gives him this big hug. And they're both just like sparkling. Like they definitely like loved each other. Ah, she's a beautiful lady. And didn't find out until like much later. I've like seen a lot about this and it just makes me like so happy. Uh, did you know that she had a crush on you? No? Yeah. Did she, did she, did you she have obviously didn't know I had a crush on her either. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, Love yeah. the romance. The, the, the chemistry is just palatable between. Yeah. Yeah, it's really totally. something. Okay, so Chris, why is this movie Speed remarkable as content creators, as B2B marketers? Which we be looking at this movie to try to, to try to emulate here? Well, it is just such a perfectly crafted 
movie in, in, in a lot of ways. It's a movie that doesn't want to end, which is really the only thing I got, you know, against it is that, you know, it's probably about 10 minutes longer than it needs to be because you got to get on the subway at the end and you got to dispatch the villain in a creative way. But beyond that, it is just the premise is stone code simple and easy to understand. You can pitch it in an elevator, literally 30 seconds. Everybody understands and everyone understands the stakes and just again, it's like when I think of the lead actors and actresses, they're just fantastic. And one of the things I really appreciate beyond the relentless action is again it's super easy to spot like the supporting characters in on the bus that are trapped on the bus through much of the movie like we know people like this or we are familiar with the kind of tropey characters that they are there's the the guy who's a you know a contractor and there's another one who's a yokel from out of town who is easily impressed and distressed and there's the, the older woman who is losing her mind because of the situation that she's in and 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 whatnot oh my god we might have died so it's just a a fun relentlessly paced movie and i just got a great big kick out of it Uh, all those like a thousand years ago when i would see it every day in college but also you know more recently when i think about like blissful storytelling and blissful storytelling is storytelling that is uncomplicated right and there's something to be said for in a world where we have movie franchises featuring people who wear superhero costumes that span 30 movies and that i i have to watch 30 movies to understand what's happening in the new sam jackson tv show and yet here is a movie you know done 30 years ago or whatever that is just pure bliss because you don't have to inherit all of that baggage you don't need to have a deep knowledge of x y and z you are just there for the ride and and i think that as b2b content creators and marketers we will often get so far up in our own heads about well we are going to assume that our audiences or our prospects for instance have the same kind of comprehensive knowledge that we might have we as insiders might have about a solution or about our product or you know thought leadership or whatever when in fact we are the ones who are drinking the kool-aid far more and far more deeper than our prospects they need the simple story at least in the beginning to get the hook and to begin to get a, an understanding and become delighted and dazzled by our solution or whatever you you know whatever we're presenting in our content and i think that a back to basics and this is something that i really strive to do in, in on our content at Sixth Sense is to make it as plain spoken as possible and to make sure that most of our readers who are coming to our site likely for the first time find something that isn't overwhelming or or over their heads like watching 30 stupid movies to find out what's going on with Sam Jackson in the the new show and instead you know our experience kind of like the B2B equivalent of a blissful story where it is simply, simply told and invites curiosity and gets you from the beginning of the story to the or the beginning of the blog post to the end or whatever it is and then keeps you engaged to investigate more so like i think that the ultimate simplicity and understandability of speed that's a very successful storytelling tactic that i think that many content creators kind of overlook these days yeah one of the things that that i was thinking about as a good parallel to b2b marketing is that when you are starting to get sick of your messaging that means that probably it's starting to sink in with your audience. If you need to, you go right ahead and bomb it. And for speed, it's like there's a bomb on the bus. They can't go under 50 and they either got to get the bomb off the bus 
or they have to get the people off the bus. And like, those are the only two solutions that they can have, right? Or I guess, you know, figure out a way to disable the bomb, but same idea, right? Yeah. And so if you start watching this thing at minute 15, if you start watching it at, you know, minute 45, whatever it is, it's the same exact thing going into it. You know, you always know where you're at in the story and you always are calibrated to that thing. And I think that that's a really good takeaway for B2B marketing where it's like, you need to calibrate them into what this thing is, what this asset is, what this webinar is, what this you know podcast is or, or event or whatever. Don't try to be every single thing. Just try to focus and say, this is exactly what the utility is that you're going to get from this thing. It's not going to be 50 other things. It's just going to be this one. That's it. That's it. That's all we can do. Yeah, and that's something that uh, we, you know, pursue at Sixth Sense. Like, I-, I hail from the newspaper industry. I was a newspaper reporter a, m- a million years ago, and one of the things that you know you learn there is that you don't need and shouldn't, in fact, write a five thousand word or a three thousand word story that tries to tell the entire story of a thing. Right? You can instead tell a three hundred word story or a five hundred word story here that explores one facet, and the next week or the next day do another. Like, exploring another facet and and so on. And so this kind of keeps it simple in terms of like, we can eat the elephant by bite and our audiences, we can invite our audiences to do that and do it in a way that is as simple as bomb on bus, which is exactly what one of the characters, you know, on a piece of paper, you know, and it flies like out of his hands on the freeway and slaps right on the front of the the bus windshield. And I mean, you can't get any more, that is the movie. I mean, like that, they should have just called it bomb on bus. It's that simple. Et voila. And I think that not just with content, but with like kind of branding and brand positioning and value prop, the more simple you can make that presentation, I think the more it will resonate with as many people as possible. That doesn't mean you need to be everything to everybody, quite the contrary. But like as long as the you know, the people that you're trying to reach instantly understand or nearly instantly understand what you're offering, like half of the war is won. So there was this this instance where last year, our VP of brand and digital experience came up with a, a slogan for a campaign. And this was when companies and companies are certainly laying still laying off people today. But this was like the bleeding had really started to begin, you know, economically and, and companies, at least in my space were as did we we suffered layoffs. And there was this sense of collective distress and a sense of we can't, we are so stressed as an organization, and there are many of them, that we are immobilized. We cannot proceed. We do not know what to do. If anything, we're going to proceed with caution. And our message was proceed with confidence, and here's why. And, you know, the solution of Sixth Sense demystifies X, Y, and Z and empowers you to LMNOP. But when you boil it down to the beating heart of proceed with confidence, that is such a twist on expectations, right? But is also so plainly stated and also so like optimistic on, you, you know, again, it's just like it, it sparks a kind of curiosity in a moment of aha or revelation that I think is missing from, you know, so much branding, but certainly, you know, content creation, which is what I oversee. And that is, again, kind of going back to that, keep it stone cold, simple, keep it uncomplicated. The further a, a prospect goes down the funnel, that's when you can introduce those plot twists. That's when you can introduce that complexity, but at first proceed with confidence or bomb on bus as it were it's really really important just to get butts in the seats by declaring something as simply and as delightfully as you can everybody hold on 
on to your seats or whatever you can. To the point that we're making here about keeping it simple, I feel like I understand the whole concept. And that is Colin Stamps, our podcast launch manager here at Caspian Studios. I feel like I'm good with the description that I've got so far. It seems pretty easy to understand. Yeah, I mean... You know, it's a pretty simple premise as we've, as we've detailed. Right. So I it's don't. It's about I, as subtle as a brick to the head. One of the things that, and this kind of goes to branding and you know my specialty, which is content creation and, and storytelling, is that that movie is let's say it's two hours long. I can't remember how long it is, but like the first thirty minutes of the movie is not set on a bus. And the last 30 minutes of the movie is not set on a bus. All we remember when we talk about speed is the stuff on the bus. Yeah, yeah, you get on the bus. And why is that important for us to kind of know? Well, firstly, I mean, it's like it just shows the brilliance of that premise. But what I often take away from this is stuff like, well, what do you want your audience to remember? Right. Or how do you want them to remember feeling? Right? Because there is a palatable feeling that you have as you're watching that extended sequence on the bus that you don't really have in the beginning and you don't really have in the end. So what I try to do with my writers and our storytellers is to say, look, you know, they're not going to remember their lead. They're not going to remember the conclusion. They're just going to remember whatever moments of what I call revelation you can squeeze into the middle, right? Often in the middle, or maybe as you're culminating to the end, when you pivot from here's the problem we're trying to solve to, and then like you go into the actual solution that you're trying to explain in a blog post or a guide or an ebook or whatever. And as long as you can get your reader to say, aha, I didn't know that, or whoa, I hadn't thought of it that way, like once or twice in a story, like, you know, an 800 word blog post, like you've won because that's what they remember. They won't remember, you know, practically the rest of it. They're not going to remember the statistics from Gartner. They don't give a damn about the statistics from Forrester. Oh, darn. But if you can, you know, package, present your point of view in a way that feels just even a simple spark of reaction, because this stuff is so boring, like this stuff is so ill-written often and so undercooked and so hand-wavy that anytime you can bring some specificity and recognition to a person and make them feel like, wait a minute, I feel seen, that feels real to me, like that's what they're going to remember because you've evoked some kind of feeling. And that's what I believe is the most credible kind of experience you can get give a reader or a prospect for them to further engage with your brand or with the sales process or whatever. So in that respect, that's a parallel to speed in that like, it's not wasted time in the beginning and the end. You need that stuff because stories need beginnings and stories need endings. But it's those moments of gasp worthy moments in, in the middle that we remember the most. Yeah, I think that there's so many points in speed where they do just lots of really good, like heightening and tension creating events. You know, when the bus is about to hit the bassinet and you're like, oh my God, they're not really going to do this. It just crushes this bassinet and it's full of, you know, tin cans or whatever. Oh my God. There was no big, it was full of cans. Are you sure? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Oh my God. And like those moments that are so cool. And you do remember those. But the part for me that I always remember the most is the twist of realizing that he can see them. And mm -hmm. that if they can freeze this video stream, that he can't hear them, he can just see them. And that whole, you know, action sequence of freezing that and then him realizing that it's on loop and them all staying still, like that whole part of it is so cool and like that's one of the things that i remember that moment on the bus and it's just so memorable switching gears a little bit to some of your work at six cents we didn't do this out of the top so we can do it now what is six cents 
So um, Sixth Sense is a, it's not an account-based marketing platform, but that's basically the easy way to kind of present it, is that it is, it's a platform that helps uh, revenue teams, marketers, and sellers understand where their prospects may be in the buying journey at using machine learning, lots of intent signals that we collect, the buying intent signals that we collect across the internet, which is basically the signals of buyers who are researching for solutions and leaving a virtual breadcrumb trail of um, you know interactions and and whatnot across the B2B web. Now, our technology is able to kind of collect that, smartly analyze it, and using AI accurately predict where prospects might be in the buying journey, how interested they are in your solution, next best actions for you to take to properly engage them. And you know, while I say ABM, it is in fact, you know, a tool that goes into kind of like A B everything where we have components of the technology that serve marketers and sellers, that serve the ops team, and so on. And so it's a game changer for B2B revenue teams where, because most of the, the buying journey these days kind of takes place in what we call the anonymous B2B web, where sellers and marketers don't know what's going on with these buyers. They're going to websites left and right and trade publications and stuff that basically, you know, uh, traditional solutions can't track and can't detect while our stuff kind of has x-ray vision that sees all of that activity and can kind of compile it in useful ways for b to be revenue teams. And what is your remit at the company? I'm kind of like the content czar in that I'm certainly in charge of overseeing what kind of um, B2B marketing content we create, how we might map that content strategy to product releases or strategically important goals for the business, et cetera, and you know, supporting the sales and the sales team in, in that way. Also, kind of like the last line of defense when it comes to just about anything that hits our customers or prospects that is public facing, I'm using usually literally the last person that takes a look at it and improves it. So I'm very active in the beginning of a lot of these marketing content marketing activities and very active in the end. I have a great, uh, you know, editor and, and writing team that kind of handles the middle stuff. And I, you know, contribute editorial comments along the way to make sure that we're vetting for quality and that the story is, is hitting the right notes or is sticking the landing. But generally, just about anything that hits the public that Sixth Sense creates from a storytelling perspective perspective um, has my dirty little fingerprints somewhere on it. Chris, something that I didn't know about you before we started this that's wildly fascinating to me is that you're also like low-key and award-winning narrative writer, which is super interesting. So could you kind of talk through that a little bit? And I'm curious to know like how that work might translate into any of the work that you do at Sixth Sense in the B2B world. Thanks for the question. Yeah. And it highly informs kind of how I approach like what we'll call digital storytelling. So I mentioned that um, I was a, a newspaper reporter a million years ago, but I went to a university that had a great what we'll call a print journalism program because there was no internet. And so there was a great print journalism program and there was an excellent photojournalism program. And as I was there attending the school, the internet did kind of open up and digital photography and digital videography became a thing that just like we had never seen before. Now, why am I sharing this? Because the journalism program was so interested in making sure that all of its students 
print and photo or whomever understood how all of this worked together and how different media or different mediums could best tell particular parts of the story. A picture is worth a thousand words. There's absolutely nothing more arresting than just an exquisite moment, single moment captured in a, in a photo frame. And video has a different kind of immediacy and has more, you know, can deliver more context. And of course, you know, graphics can do one thing and, and text is where you can let the story breathe and more nuance can be presented, right? So as I went into the newspaper business, and then left, I had a great working knowledge of you know, all of how different storytelling media or channels can work together to tell a cohesive story that is greater than its individual parts. Well, I was a, in marketing for a bit and then left the marketing business to create marketing campaigns with marketing agencies that were working with television shows and movies to immerse readers or immersive website visitors into the fictional world of these television shows in a way that inspired curiosity and engagement, but also viral share. Okay, so for instance, there's a TV show on Showtime that mentions a um, bodyguard company that offers protection for wealthy people. Okay, so we would create a fake website that promotes that business, right, as if it were a real one, drive traffic to that place through some clever, you know, viral marketing or whatever, and curious people who would visit the website and kind of look and be like, okay, so yeah, so what? It's a make-believe website for a phony baloney company. What's the big deal? And then there's like a recruiting part of the website where it says, do you have what it takes to join our team? And you go into there and you experience and, you know, and I helped, you know, create this experience where like you're taking a personality test that is so freaking weird and creepy, you know, and like presenting pictures of like spooky clowns and be like, I run to her. And you're supposed to like, what does that mean? And like, and you're selecting reactions to all of these kind of spooky and eerie um, stimuli. And by the end, you're accepted into the program after, you know, we successfully convince you that we have read your mind and anticipated a particular answer, a meaningful kind of part of the experience that you thought you had agency to create. But yet we said, we know that you were going to do this and why. I know this is all kind of hand wavy because I don't want to give away any of the surprises. But what this does is that when you successfully feel that you have been you know, hoodwinked in such a thorough way, you gasp. Again, there's that emotional reaction, the moment of revelation, and you share. So what this experience that this like, you know, five to seven year portion of my career was spent creating content like this, like for an X-Men movie, we wanted to, you know, make sure that people knew that generated buzz for the film. So we wrote a fake magazine story that documented the life of Magneto in this particular way and got really people interested in the movie in, in a creative way. And we were using film and photo stills and graphics and words all in the same very similar way that I was back in a thousand years in college, when again, we were learning all of this kind of of transmedia or merged media experiences. And throughout all of this, I was also a fiction writer. I was a science fiction novelist, and I was releasing my, my novels in an innovative way at the time, an innovative way through serialized podcasts where you'd listen to you know one chapter a week, and then you'd come back the next week and we'd read you the new chapter, and, and you'd be successfully kind of like pulled along week to week through weekly cliffhangers. Where is all this going? Is that when you're able to extract yourself from specialization, such as 
writing text for a blog on your website and instead are seeing the power of all the channels that you have at your disposal and leaning into the channels in ways that best exploit their effectiveness. And you have this experience or this vision when you come to content strategy, when you come to digital storytelling for B2B, when you come to campaign ideation or whatever it might be, you're able to see levers to pull and dials to spin in ways that you wouldn't if you had a traditional copywriting background. And so that's one of the things that I think I bring to, you know, the Sixth Sense experience is that we excel at written content and there's a lot of nuance that we can bring to that, but we're always looking for opportunities to simply tell stories through infographics or very brief videos or even like an on-site experience where you are consciously aware of like, you know what, I'm getting scroll fatigue at this particular point in a piece of content on the web, what can we do to mitigate that, right? There's like this kind of multidimensional component to user experience and user expectations and expectations of narrative that I think are often overlooked by creators. And I think that that's kind of like the code in the matrix that I'm able to see or that my team is able to see because of that you know, that experience, that multimedia experience I had um, all those many years ago back in college where I was watching Speed every other day. That's fascinating. And I mean, I can see it in the Sixth Sense website as you go through there. There's so many different forms of content that y'all have. Like you said, written, you have the podcast, there's videos, and they all do such a good job of like telling the story of whatever you're trying to convey in that. Appreciate it. Thank you. Why don't we use fiction more in B2B? Because it's unexpected. I think that if we look at fiction as a form of storytelling, just for a second, okay, and think about storytelling in terms of, well, what is a great story? And it's essentially, you know, there is a protagonist that experiences conflict, and then there is a resolution to the conflict, and then this begins over and over again. And that's how you have, like, you know, an amazing sequence on the bus where, like, everything just gets worse. There's a gap in the freeway. But it can only get worse if you can overcome these conflicts, right? So Out of the that, frying pan into the fryer, as they say. In, I, in I couldn't say it better. Concept. Absolutely. Yep, yep. And so when you have a situation like that, but then you look at a B2B email, you say, like, I hope you're doing well. Let me describe a problem that most companies face. You're setting up the stakes. This is what happens when this problem is unaddressed. There is the conflict. And here's three bullet points on how the cure is, and that's overcoming the conflict. And then you drop the mic and you, you sign the email. A 100-word business email reflects setup, conflict resolution. It is sto like his story is story is story. So even though we aren't writing legit fiction when we write a blog post or an ebook or, or whatever, or a guide, a how-to guide, all of those things, when you kind of atomize narrative is simply, you know, situation stakes, conflict resolution. When you start to look at a blog post, they are clearly even like um, separated by headers, right? Like, you know, intro yeah. is like kind of like the setup and, and the stakes. And then there's always a pivot to the solution. And there's always a pivot to the, you know, and they lived happily ever after. Here's the conclusion, right? So like, even when we don't know we are writing narrative and kind of like fiction-ish stories, we are. And our readers have those expectations wired in their DNA, which is why we write stories that way, okay? But when we consider, and I think that you're right in challenging the norm of, well, what might we do with fiction, 
right? And I think that that is an absolutely undertapped solution, you know, a, a channel. It's not a channel, but, you know, a storytelling process that is under-experienced. Like, I'm going to cite an example from my transmedia experience, you know, back in when I was a freelancer, was that there are these, you know, experiences called alternate reality games where users are poking around the, the internet and they're following breadcrumbs from website to website. You know, and if you're promoting like a major experience, let's say something at San Diego Comic-Con for, a, you know, a, a superhero movie, and you've been tasked with creating an alternate reality game that eventually directs them to an on-site experience, right, for San Diego Comic-Con. This experience of going through this kind of online scavenger hunt is interesting because it is fiction-based and it further propels and invites curiosity and further engagement, right? But it winds up in a real meat space environment where you are dazzled in some memorable way with an in-fiction or in-fictional world experience that you take pictures of, that you share with your friends, etc. There's an example of this when the Dark Knight movie was, came out a thousand years ago, where eventually the breadcrumbs led participants to the San Diego Comic-Con, where they were dressed like the Joker. Like, this was mm -hmm. like a thing that happened, and there were hundreds of people that showed up dressed like the Joker in this kind of like be-in that happened there. And of course, you know, this was explosively shared online, and it made them feel special, and it promoted the film. Where am I going with all of this? Is that we have similar Similar opportunities to do that with our B2B content using, and I don't think you need to do something elaborate as making sure that everyone shows up at Salesforce event yeah. wearing a Joker costume or whatever, but like there are ways to enhance your narrative with these fictional elements or fictionalized elements. And then I think that the particularly noteworthy are these experiences that can be had on site at events, particularly events that you as a business would sponsor or that you as a business would host, like a customer conference or something. And to be able to blow the minds of a bunch of square B2B squares at one of these places, right? You just need to color outside the lines just a little bit to make it memorable for them. They're going to share that on social. They're going to share that this and that. That creates like an, an explosion of interest and curiosity from all the other B2B squares who didn't attend the experience and are drawn to the website or your messaging or whatever it might be to learn more about you so they can get a piece of the action the next time you do a customer conference or whatever it might be. This is wildly, wildly experimental stuff in the world of B2B. But the path, you know, and I know this from personal experience creating these experiences, is that the path to something like that is, while it's a non-trivial thing to accomplish, it's absolutely possible. And the upside, the promotional upside can be really dramatic. So circling back to incorporating fiction into our marketing initiatives as B2B, like I think it's a, a wildly underused, but like really radically cool thing and engaging thing that we could do. Yeah. I mean, I look at something like Ted Lasso, you could have written a hundred leadership books, nonfiction leadership books, and nothing would even come close to as good as like the dart scene in Ted Lasso. And like, that is like beautiful storytelling with a character that you feel a lot of feelings about. And like, that's what fiction allows you to do. And nonfiction, like we always talk to people who, oh, I can't tell a story about this customer because like we don't have an approval from them. It's like, why don't you just make up a customer, make up a story, make up a character, give them, you know, all the different things that your current customers are dealing with and create some fiction around that person. And I, yeah, I mean, my thing as a storyteller is that I love to have a sandbox where I can play with all the toys and like do whatever I want with them. And like nonfiction is not that. It 
is like not reality. And you can tell really memorable stories with fiction in a way that is just different and is perceived differently than nonfiction work, which is obviously very tactical and it's very helpful for how to's and very helpful for that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, again, like I learned more from watching Ted Lasso than reading a leadership book. Because there is something wired within us that is just so receptive to story, like to fiction, to make believe stories. And I've always wanted to do this. And one day I will like, imagine you're at an event some hateful B2B event that they sent you to and God, yeah, I gotta wear this t- this shirt with, with the freaking company logo on it and I don't wanna be here. But I find a wallet. You find a wallet on the ground that says, if found, take to the Sixth Sense booth, right? You go to the Sixth Sense booth with a wallet and you've been super ethical and you haven't opened it up and you haven't taken any of the money and you present it and they're like, no, no, that's for you. That's for you, yeah. go ahead and take it. And you open the wallet And through business cards and an ID and credit card number or scraps of paper that might be in this Costanza sized wallet, whatever it is, help you help tell a story that is propelled by your physical interaction with the items, right? Help tell a story that eventually brings you through and educates you on the dark funnel, which is the the thing that we call this anonymized B2B web, that internet that like you don't know about the anonymous research that buyers are doing, that it somehow schools you on that. You know, maybe it's like a phone number that's in there with like a password to a voicemail system. And that by hacking into the system, you're hearing messages from people that might further enhance your understanding of the dark funnel or the stakes or the solution. And it's doing this in a, in a way that isn't shilly and shitty, but is instead feels organic and inviting. And you are suddenly riding shotgun in a story that you kind of control the pace of and are further engaging in it, like through websites or voicemails, or maybe even texts. You might send a text to a particular message that you've been invited to send to, and they reply back with some kind of, you know, interesting response. You are suddenly the protagonist in the story. And you are, you know, and part of a blossoming narrative that ultimately serves a B2B business goal, but is presented in a way through fiction that makes you feel like a hero in the story and is just popping and crackling with those aha moments. And of course, naturally, those moments that you would feel proud to share on social or wherever it might be, or like maybe there's a business card in there that says, or a scrap of paper that says there are 10 other wallets, like invite your friends to look for them. And suddenly, you know, this is going to blow up on, quote, Twitter or whatever in a way that a traditional ad that you would see on a deck slide during a presentation could never, could never do for probably a fraction of the price. So there are all of these unexpected, ultra creative ways if we just choose to lower our defenses and be willing to play as B2B creators, be willing to suspend our disbelief that a bus can travel 50 miles an hour and can leap over, you know, parts of a freeway that aren't completed yet, that somehow this super heroic cop can do all of these amazing things and survive. What if you were the cop? And that's the stuff that I think that I'm obviously deeply passionate about. And obviously I don't get many chances to talk about, but those are the things that I think that, um, you know, can really innovate And it's risky and it's expensive, but that can deeply reinvent the way we communicate 
you know, value props and all kinds of boring stuff in interesting ways to motivate buyers and get engagement. Well, Chris, it's been absolutely awesome having you on the show. We got to have you back. It's We could talk for hours. So great. I'd love that. You. Any, yeah. Thank you. Uh, for listeners, go check out Six Sense. Any final thoughts? No, other than it's just been a super, super duper treat. I hope that there's some scrap of wisdom or interesting things that I've said in this this great big bloviating uh, blowhardery that I usually do. But thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. You're the best, Chris. Thanks so much. Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios, B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood style storytelling for B2B. In today's episode, you heard from Caspian Studios CEO, Ian Faison, Colin Stamps, our podcast launch manager, and myself, Meredith Gooderham, senior producer at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by me and mixed by Francie Goudreau. Our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise.